The tale that I'm about to tell you is that of a beautiful love story that ended in tragedy. Jaime Estuardo Melgar was born on August 10, 1960, in Guatemala, to his parents Ernesto and Inez. Jaime, known to most later in life as Jim, was the baby of the family, the youngest of three boys. When he was just three years old, he, his parents, and his two brothers, Erwin and Herman, immigrated to the United States. The Melgars settled in Houston, Texas, where Jaime would spend the rest of his life. Jaime was known to be very intelligent and quick with a joke, although as an adult, most of his family didn't quite share his sense of humor, coining his corny quips as Jim jokes. By all accounts, Jim was a very likable guy. Everyone loved him, even his Jim jokes. And his charms weren't lost on young Sandy McCulloch. During her senior year of high school, Sandy's homeroom teacher assigned the class seats alphabetically, and 17-year-old Jim Melgar was assigned to sit behind her. Jim was smitten with Sandy. She was beautiful and had long, flowing blonde hair. So, of course, he pulled it. That's how Jim and Sandy met. Jim flirting with her during homeroom in 1977. A few tugs on the hair and some of his best Jim jokes later, he asked her on a date. Sort of. Jim asked Sandy to join him and a friend to go ice skating one Friday evening. But when Sandy showed up, Jim's friend made like a tree and left. And that was the first date that led to 32 years of an amazing marriage. After dating for three years, Jim and Sandy were married on December 12th of 1980. Their marriage was like one out of a fairy tale. They were best friends and supported each other in every way imaginable. Four years into their marriage, in 1984, the happy couple announced to friends and family that Sandy had a bun in the oven. Elizabeth Melgar was born in March of 1985. The addition of the family prompted Jim and Sandy to be baptized into the Jehovah's Witness Church, an act of faith that the two did together, just like everything else in their lives. They would raise Liz in the church. They wanted to provide her with a life of faith, love, and joy. Throughout her entire life, Liz observed her parents living a relationship that most people can only dream of. Leading by example, her father taught her to never speak disrespectfully to someone you care about, and her mother showed her how to always lead with love and patience. Liz never once saw her parents yell or be disrespectful to one another, and most certainly never saw even an inkling of physical violence. Jim and Sandy were both known for being quiet, calm, respectful, and gentle, both with each other as well as everyone they came into contact with. During a time when home computers were a rare luxury item, Jim began to study in the field of information technology, 
while Sandy went to school to become a nurse. Following their schooling, Jim began his profession in the IT world, and Sandy went to work at the hospital. Life was great for the Melgars. They both had promising, well-paying careers, a loving daughter, and even invested in real estate, purchasing a few rental homes to supplement their incomes. Life really was as good as it could get until Sandy started developing some serious health problems. Skin rashes led to severe joint pain and fatigue, dizzy spells, and eventually seizures. Eventually, Sandy had to leave her job as a nurse. She simply couldn't perform the necessary tasks of such a physically demanding job anymore. She had been diagnosed with both lupus and epilepsy. The Melgars were resilient. They always dreamed of an amazing retirement together, and they weren't about to let a little thing like leaving a career and a debilitating illness to stop them. Sandy shifted her career and began working from home. She and Jim started a medical billing company. With Sandy's medical training and Jim's IT skills, they were up and running in no time, and Jim actually wrote the program that was the focal point of the business. Before too long, they had a thriving business and were back on track working towards the retirement that they'd always dreamed of. As the years went by, Sandy's medical issues became more and more debilitating. By 2012, she was suffering from epilepsy, seizure disorder, retrograde amnesia, short-term memory loss, lupus and the accompanying lupus fog, she had bilateral hip replacements, hypothyroidism, and vertigo. Sandy relied on Jim to help her through life at the young age of only 53. And Jim was the perfect partner. In fact, he was known to everyone around him as a helper. Selflessly, Jim would be there for anyone who needed him at a moment's notice. Not only was he a whiz with computers, as his daughter put it to me, her dad could fix anything. He was a jack-of-all-trades and a master of most. A handyman, a counselor, and even a nurse to his loving wife. Jim responded to Sandy's declining health by focusing on his own. He was determined to stay healthy and strong so that he could take care of Sandy when she couldn't take care of herself. He began exercising every day lifting weights, running and biking, and working around the house, and the rental houses, and his mother's house. He cut all the processed foods out of his diet, ate only organic foods, and was working towards living a vegan lifestyle. In contrast to Sandy, Jim was in the best shape of his life at 52 years old. December 12, 2012, was Jim and Sandy's 32nd wedding anniversary. But Sandy wasn't feeling well on their big day. Her illnesses were getting the better of her, and she wasn't feeling well enough to go out and celebrate. At that point, their daughter Liz, living in Europe, was handling most of the medical billing remotely using a computer program that her father had written. Sandy just wasn't able to do much at all anymore. Her hip replacements and lupus left her walking with a cane, and the epilepsy along with the lupus would wipe her memory clear every time she suffered a seizure, lupus fog, or what's known as an aura, a precursor to seizures that involve a sort of hallucination. When Sandy would suffer a seizure, it would be followed by what's known as a post-ictal state, 
Seizures are exhausting on the body and brain. In the aftermath, Sandy, just like most people afflicted with epilepsy, would literally pass out for hours. Sometimes entire days would go by where she couldn't even get out of bed after a seizure. Her head would throb and her muscles would ache. The seizures would also induce what's known as retrograde amnesia. Once Sandy would awaken from her postictal state, she couldn't remember anything from the time before the seizure struck. All of this made it nearly impossible for her to continue working. Sandy had good days and bad days, but she always had Jim by her side to take care of her and keep her spirits up. And ten days after their anniversary, on December 22nd, Sandy was feeling better than she had in quite a while. Seizing the opportunity that a good day offered up, she and Jim decided to go out for dinner to celebrate their belated 32-year landmark. They ate dinner at their favorite Mexican restaurant, Los Cucos. The happy couple had an amazing night. Dinner was delicious and full of inspiring and hopeful conversations about the future. After they ate, Jim and Sandy decided to keep the celebration going. On the way home, they made a quick stop at the CVS to pick up mixers to make some drinks. When they got home, Sandy headed straight into the master bathroom to fill up the jacuzzi tub. Jim came in, then returned to the car to get their Los Cucos leftovers. While Jim was putting the leftovers in the fridge and gathering materials to make some drinks, Sandy lit candles around the tub. The couple had been living in their dream home for about six years. 2,100 square foot, three bedroom brick ranch in an upscale Houston neighborhood. The highlight of the home was the master suite, located in the back of the house. It consisted of a master bedroom with a walk-in closet, then off the bedroom was the gorgeous master bath, which not only contained a jacuzzi tub, but another walk-in closet. It was the perfect place to share a nightcap to celebrate 32 years of marital bliss, through sickness and in health. Jim and Sandy enjoyed cocktails while soaking in the jacuzzi and sharing some intimate time together. They relaxed in the tub for about two hours, with a few trips to use the bathroom and to get some ice, and occasionally adding more hot water. They talked about everything from organic food to their daughter Liz's recent miscarriage to computer programming and their plans for retirement. 35 years after Jim first tugged on Sandy's long blonde locks and homeroom, the couple still remain best friends. Suddenly, the Melgar's four dogs started barking in the backyard. It was the middle of the night, so Jim got out of the tub to bring the pups inside. Sandy continued to soak, the jets roaring as the water massaged her, for about 5 to 15 minutes. When Jim hadn't returned, she decided to get out of the tub and to get dressed. She stepped out, jacuzzi jets still running, and entered the bathroom walk-in closet. There, she put on a pair of underwear, some booty socks, and a nightgown. She then sat down on the chair inside the closet and began to apply lotion to her legs, as was her habit when getting out of the tub or shower. And that is the last thing that Sandy Melgar remembers from the night of December 22nd, 2012.
closet is pitch black. The door is closed and the silence is deafening. Sandy slowly opens her eyes. She sees nothing. Her head is throbbing and she believes that she must have had a seizure. She goes back to sleep. Sometime later, she awakens again, still on the floor, in the darkness, and still she sees nothing. Her head hurts and her body is aching. She tries to rub her head to see what's hurting so badly, but she can't move her hands. Something is terribly wrong. She's in pain, she's in the dark, and her hands are tied behind her back. She struggles to loosen them, but the bindings won't give. She tries to get to her feet, but her ankles are bound as well. Stunned, confused, and in pain, Sandy slipped back into sleep. Seconds, minutes, hours, days. Sandy had no idea how long she'd been in the closet. With no clock and no light, it was impossible to know. Finally, she hears someone in the house. They're talking and calling out for her and Jim. She's weak and dehydrated, but she manages to speak one word over and over again. Help. the afternoon of December 23, 2012. It was a clear and cool winter day in Houston with an average temperature of 68 degrees. The Melgars were planning to have dinner with Jim's brother, Herman, and his family. Herman, his wife Maria, and their daughter Monica all loaded into their car and headed over to Jim and Sandy's. Their other daughter, Marissa, and her husband, Gerson, and their child followed behind in their car. The family had been trying to connect for dinner to celebrate Jim and Sandy's anniversary for over a week. And since Sandy was feeling good the day before, they all planned for a celebratory dinner the next day. Now we all jump out of the car, knock on the door. There's no answer. But you see there are cars there in the driveway and in the garage. Well, at this moment, we didn't know there was a car in the garage. So we thought, you know, okay, well, maybe they left to go get something. But, you know, it was odd because we knew they were expecting us. But um, the dogs were there. Uh, they kept barking and barking. And my dad, you know, said, let me go into the backyard. Maybe they're outside in the backyard. But they weren't. And then uh, my dad said, well, the garage was open. And we saw that. Then that's when we noticed that there was another car in there. Well, they have to be in there. It's odd. Maybe they're taking a shower. Maybe, you know, just thinking about all these scenarios. And we were about to maybe just leave because we weren't sure what was going on. But my dad said, I'm just going to go ahead and go inside. family waited in the driveway as Herman entered the garage. So, so he just went in, of course, and he opens the front, he goes around, opens the front door for us. At this moment, I think it was just my mom and I who walked in. Uh, my mom and I walked in, my dad was already in the house. As we're walking in, you can just already feel that there's something eerie, you know? Something, something's not right here. 
And so my mom and I are like, um, we're slowly backing out, like back out the front door. Because they're like, this just doesn't feel right. Let's just wait outside, you know. And my dad's like, no, just come on in. Like, they, it looked like they hadn't, like there was no movement, you know. But then not too long after that, we start hearing, you know, just mumbling, help. And then we kind of just stand there, wait, what, what, what was said? You know, we weren't sure what was being said. And then finally, you can just, you can hear help, help, help. Upon hearing Sandy's cry for help, Jim's brother Herman sprang to action. He took off running towards the back of the house, with Marissa following behind him. Marissa made it as far as the master bedroom when she lost sight of her father and got scared. She turned back to go find her mother. Herman had already made his way through the master bedroom and into the master bath. It took him just a minute to register what he was seeing and hearing. Sandy's cries for help were coming from inside the bathroom walk-in closet, and the scene looked like something you would see in the movies. A chair was propped up against the door, holding it shut from the outside, only the back legs touching the tile floor. It was tipped back with the top of the backrest wedged under the closet doorknob. Herman removed the chair from the door as his wife Maria came running up behind him. When he opened the door, the immediate, unmistakable order of urine and feces attacked his nose like an invisible wall. On the floor laid Sandy Melgar, partially clothed, her wrists bound behind her back and her ankles tied together. She winced from the first light to reach her pupils in what turned out to be over 15 hours. She was disoriented and confused. She had lost control of her bladder and bowels, but she was alive. Herman and Maria quickly set to the task of removing Sandy's bindings, but they couldn't get them untied. They weren't able to loosen it up. They weren't able to get her out. So they, my mom had to go out and look for scissors to actually cut her out of the whatever she was bound with. Once she was cut free, Sandy began screaming, Where's Jim? Where's Jim? She and the rest of the family began calling out for him. And then that's when, at that moment, everyone's looking for my uncle. My dad started searching the whole house, looking for him. And then that's when my sister saw my uncle's feet coming out of the closet. The Melgar's house was 2,100 square feet, so there's quite a bit of ground to cover. Herman went back through the master bedroom and out to the rest of the house searching for Jim. It was his daughter, Monica, who, on her second or third pass through the master bedroom, noticed the feet sticking out of the walk-in closet. The entire family had passed by Jim several times. The door to the bedroom opened in and to the right, blocking the view of the closet door. Monica and Marissa didn't look closely at Jim. They didn't need to. The pallor of his skin, 
and the blood told them all they needed to know. No more family dinners, no more gym jokes. Jaime Melgar had been murdered. Screams erupted throughout the entire house. Herman cried out for his brother, and Sandy collapsed to the floor. Her husband, her best friend, her soulmate, was gone. In the blink of an eye, gone. All the plans that she talked about with Jim in the jacuzzi, over. Sandy was so confused that she had no idea how much time had passed. EMS responders reported that she had no idea what day it was or even if it was daytime or nighttime. Her sister-in-law, Maria, helped Sandy change out of her soiled underwear as the police and medics swarmed the house. Everyone on the scene seemed to use the same word to describe Sandy Melgar on that awful evening. Inconsolable. On the night of December 22, 2012, Jaime Estuardo Melgar, at 52 years old, suffered from 51 blunt and sharp force injuries, 17 stab wounds, 14 cutting wounds, and 20 blunt force wounds. He was pronounced dead at the scene, and Harris County Sheriff's Department Detective Ruben Carazal narrowed in on his one lead suspect. Before crime scene investigators had even finished processing the scene, next week on Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Michael Bussing is your executive producer, and Shane Yoder is our sound engineer. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. And Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com also created our Season 6 logo. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $1 a month. And we also have reward levels on the Patreon page that include access to the behind-the-scenes videos of the taping of our Friday follow-up episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. But the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. 
You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation in the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can follow along on Twitter at truthjusticepod. Don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on the case. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice.